As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, it's uh, Thursday morning. Got to do it early. I can't actually. Did I ask to do it early? I did, didn't I? Yeah, it was me, yes, because I'm going to the theatre. I know a lot of people look forward to my theatre reviews, yeah. so brace yourselves. There'll be one coming next week. I tell you what, the Radio Times' loss was Theatre Land's gain. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. I don't really know what to say about plays, though, because my theory about plays has always been everyone's really glad when they're over. Why are you going then? Because I think it's important to go, to keep, to keep it alive. Actually, this is a play that, um, on the face of it, I may as well say which one it is, um, it's got this amazing cast, Kristen Scott Thomas and Lily James, and it's called Leoness. And, um, you know, on paper, it's going to be... It's amazing. Unfortunately, the reviews have been... I think mixed would be charitable. So you've got to keep an open mind, haven't you? No, I don't go to the theatre. You know, you don't, do you? I'm kind of doggedly still pursuing. As a middle-aged woman, I think you need to go to the theatre. I The last time I went to see something at theatre, uh, it was... also oh, very funny noise. I mean, there's just no getting away from that. My Diet Coke just burbled up. Uh, it was to see a production of uh, Tom Stoppard's Jumpers. It was a very long time ago. Bloody hell, that was a long time 20 ago. 20 years ago. Uh, well, what is that about? Well... <laughs> You tell me. No, I mean, it's semi-seriously, and is it set in a sweater factory? No. I mean, uh, it, it, what is it's it not, It didn't seem to be about woolens. It didn't seem to be about high buildings. I honestly don't know what it was about. There was somebody on a swing at some stage. I really, really loved uh, the playwrights, and don't laugh at me for saying this because there's no other way of saying it without it sounding highly pretentious. Steady yourself against something firm. Uh, I loved the playwrights uh, of ancient Greece and Rome, Jane, and I studied them a lot because those are great plays. The Medea and stuff like that, I think it's just amazing. But when I've gone to see modern playwrights, I've not been quite so enamoured and I just get that itchy bum thing. Do you get that? Oh yeah, but I always have a couple of drinks beforehand and then one in my hand in a plastic cup when it starts. And don't you get jiggly legs? Um, and then don't you suddenly think, how would I get out? I just start fantasising about being able to tell people the next day that I've been to the theatre. Oh, God help us. Uh, right, or the day before, <laughs> as it turns out. Or the out. day of. Yes, <laughs> and then we can hear all about it on Monday, kids. Uh, yes, because yes. it's not just that this weekend. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, I lie. I did go and see that. Oh, sorry. No, I went to see that it? Taste of Honey. Oh, right. Well, that's yeah. another play. You, uh, Sheila Delaney, that is um, supposed to be a classic, isn't it? Yes. It was Sheila Delaney, wasn't it? She was very young and she died very young. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know. No, she anyway, was, look, I'm so... She was terribly important, Sheila I'm, Delaney. I'm at, at, um, absolutely at the boundary of my theatre-going okay. whatevers. But look, have a lovely time. No, but you must have seen a panto. 
Yes, but that's that's different, isn't it? Okay. Best celebrity in Panto witnessed by you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, we always went to, we always have been to the Hackney Empire, which had the magnificent Clive Rowe for oh, yeah. years and years and years and years. So he was always the star of the show. So actually, I haven't seen a Nolan in Panto or anything um, like that. Okay. Have you? Uh, I saw Scylla Black in Panto at the Liverpool Empire some years ago. Genuinely funny. Yeah. Uh, because the, the running gag throughout the show was that she was going to sing and every time it looked as though she was going to sing, the, the audience just shouted, don't sing, Scylla! And it was, a, it was, it kind of worked because she was completely playing the audience and yeah. everybody was giving her lip and she was giving it back and it was, it was quite, it was funny. It and was which funny. modern celebrity would you, would you turn out for now in well, a panto? genuinely, I thought I would die laughing watching Barry Humphreys in panto not that long ago. Yeah. Probably ten years ago. I know he's died recently. And that he was cast and genius. But who would you who would you want now, to go and see who would now? I go and see? Gosh, I don't. To be honest, I can't imagine that anyone would be better than him. I re- I really can't. Well, I can think of a couple of people who uh, I'd quite like to see Amanda Holden in Panto. Well, she'll give she'll give it everything, won't yeah, she? Yeah, she's got amazing comedy timing. That one. Yeah. Well, uh, why is she doing Panto? I don't know. I'll look into it. Uh, Amanda, are you doing Panto? No, I think she's too busy with everything else. Probably. She's doing. I'd watch uh, Alison Hammond do Panto as well. Yeah, well, Boy George is doing Panto this year. Oh, woof. Yes, well, I mean, he's made no bones about it. He He's literally, he needs the money. Well, they're all doing it for the ka-ching, aren't they? There's some reason why he's, he's got a, a some lawsuit or something Gosh. pending. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. So he really does need the money. Uh, so anyway. And he was in the jungle as well, wasn't he? Yes, that's what I mean. Evidence is mounting to suggest yeah. he does have uh, Do some remember, bills. <laughs> Do you remember when Michael Burke went into the jungle and he was asked about the money and he said uh, it's because he needed uh, to buy some new double glazing? He just thought, well, you should just fucking have some quotes, mate, because they're taking the piss. <laughs> so just way too expensive. <laughs> I'd forgotten about Michael Burke. Yeah, he was one of the first kind of serious journalists, way before Krishnan was dancing his spangles off on a Saturday oh, night. Yeah. And it was quite a big thing that Michael Burke was doing. Yes, a, well, you're absolutely right, it was. A celebrity thing. And I think he did all right, didn't he? I think, well, I think he's a really nice man, so he wasn't kind of in there to pretend to be something. No. Oh, wouldn't we like to see the rushes well, of that show? I think he was one of those blokes who said, I've never seen it. Um, I always find those people impossibly grand when they agree to appear on a show. Oh, of course, I've never seen it. I'm far too busy to watch television, but I'll happily appear on it. There are quite a few of those around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, Berkey, I've met him. Not as tall as you might think. Uh, n- no, I really like I really like his his programme. Well, I think we might share an agent. Oh, well, maybe if I turn out to the next Christmas party, I can sidle up to Michael yeah. and tell him that myself. Yes, you well, might You might just you might just come across him. Um, news in the Daily Mirror today that Fergie, as I like to call Fer- her... I, Fergie. No, I've just decided to, I, I'm going to become one of those later-life people who just has my own way of pronouncing things. Like <laughs> Jilly Cooper with Jane Austen, I'm going to say Fergie. <laughs> so, my mum used to not go to the Kinemar. There we are, you see? So there's absolutely nothing. If your mum can do it, it's good enough for me. Anyway, the Daily Mirror breathlessly reports today uh, that Fudgy is in talks with ITV's This Morning uh, to be a guest presenter. Oh, my word. 
Yeah, she is in conversations with execs. I'd love one of those, wouldn't you? An exec? Well, just a conversation with one. After previously previously impressing telly bosses when she joined the Loose Women panel uh, to talk about her breast cancer battle. We wish her well there. Um, and I think she is all right, which is very good news. But um, I don't know. Do you think it's... I think the old Fergie, Fergie brand will be a bit diluted by appearing regularly on This Morning? I think we both know the answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be watchable, but I'm not sure for the right reasons. Not necessarily watchable. <laughs> no. But I'd like to see her and Dermot, you know, do a bit of authentic bants. Oh, I think you might have to wait quite a while for that. Mm. Uh, Claire says, uh, Fee and Jane, listening to this morning's or yesterday's podcast, uh, I like the audio segment from Anna Walker. Yeah, don't encourage Anna. She's got a new life now, away from the media. We don't want her to come over here, clomping around. We don't want around. her being late for those estate agent appointments <laughs> and the £2.5 million pound we, chalet. We don't need her with all her glamour and expertise. <laughs> anyway, Claire says, I love the audio segment from Anna Walker, following which she made reference to the wonderful Judith Chalmers, and that brought back very vivid memories of growing up in Belfast during the 70s and 80s when Wish You Were Here brought such a welcome and magical relief to the grimness of Northern Ireland during that period. Mention of Judith Chalmers' name also stirred a memory of the late great Victoria Wood and I know you're a fan, Jane, she says, uh, when in one of her routines she stated, and I'm paraphrasing a little here, I've been in show business so long I knew Judith Chalmers before she was brown. <laughs> It still tickles me no end, says Claire. Yes, uh, there are so many. She just never, never stops la making me laugh anyway, Victoria Wood. Um, and as I th I'm sure I tweeted on the day she died. I just wanted her to know how much pleasure she'd given so, so many of us. That was that was the time when I was... She wouldn't have seen the tweet. No, I know. And, and that's the problem, with the idiocy of social media and my compulsion to pay tribute. You know, it's as you point out, it's utterly pointless. I mean, other people will have seen it, but what what is the point of that? Which is kind of why I don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I want to come off the X platform too, but I've got a little bit of work to do there oh, first. I know you're doing some work. Uh, right, uh, this one comes undercover. from... Undercover. <laughs> but under the... our own name. No, the thing is, it's quite. It's really not undercover, but uh, I'm very happy to do it. Um, it's about local radio, actually, I think. Uh... We can explain it here. Well, yeah. you, well, you may as well explain it. I think the, the very savage cuts to BBC local radio are wrong, Jane. Uh, and I know that the BBC has limited resources. It's our money, we're paying the licence fee and they need to make lots of cuts. But it just strikes me as a really odd time in the world to cut that community level of journalism uh, because we're all reaching quite high to find our news and you can get it on platforms like X, but you don't know the people it's about. So it will always be a slightly kind of distorted sound, I think. And local news, when you know the person it's happened to, you know the community something's happened in, you feel connected to it, I think it's just essential. And I think if BBC Local Radio goes, uh, then, you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, so I, I'm very happy to do a bit of shouting about that. I know that um, they would probably say that they're trying to make uh, they're trying to make inroads into what life might be like without the license fee. The BBC, aren't they? Or they're trying to imagine what life might be like for the organisation without the license fee. If Labour win the next next election, 
I'm imagining they won't have to worry too much about that for a while. As much. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that changes anything. But absolutely, I mean, I agree with you because I just think... I mean, on two levels, it's it's stupid. Uh, first of all, you're right, local news is absolutely vital. Local newspapers don't exist anymore. I guess some local newspapers would say they've partly been put out of business by local radio. That might be true, I guess. Um, but also, it's the fact that, you know, local bodies, councils and so on, who is holding them to account? Well, that's what I mean. There aren't, they're not all good by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. They're not all good at all. And the other thing is, um, it's the companionship and proper local knowledge of presenters, which I think is completely irreplaceable. Yeah. And so the argument is, you know, it can all go online and people are happy to find that's it just, there. That doesn't keep you company, does it? No, and they are happy to find it there, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that they would rather find it there. And until mm. you lose that audio and you count the number of people who go online, you, you actually don't know how much they're going to miss no. the audio. Uh, so, yes, I think it's very sad and I don't want it to happen. So that's why I'm just on the X for another couple of weeks. Anyway, here we go. Are you uh, leaving after that? Well, I think so. Yeah. Uh, because there's something, it's it's uh, dirty, isn't it? I just can't bear Elon Musk. Yeah. I mean, that's just one reason. God, I don't want to be on it anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I kind of miss that ability to uh, have a platform to show off. But you've got the Insta. I suppose I've also got this You've podcast. got a podcast <laughs> and you've got a daily radio programme. How much showing it's off only do you four want to do? It's only four days a week. Well, maybe Friday, a... Saturday and Sunday, I have yeah. to stand on my roof with a megaphone. On the, uh, on the fifth day, she rested. <laughs> uh, I think you've got quite a lot of platforms, Jane. You're probably right. <laughs> But do you think that you have, since coming off Twitter, have you felt the need to show off more? Um, I'm, I'm missing the, uh, I'm missing the opportunity to be. Isn't that funny? Do you know what exactly? I'm, I'm missing the opportunity to be seen as a right-thinking liberal individual. Because okay. there's a lot of that on the X, isn't there? There's, there's so much there's, of that. There's horrible right-wing, god-awful crap. And then there's also people who are rushing to what they believe to be the right opinion to make sure that everybody else knows just how liberal and right-thinking yes, they and are. and how much they care. And how much they bloody care. About Victoria Wood. All, yes, but I did care because hers was the celebrity death that I, I just wasn't prepared for, which is oh, odd because celebrity deaths come and go, don't they? Mm. I guess some people just leave more of an impression than, than others. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll go absolutely go back on the Twitter when mm. your time has come and I'll tell everybody how fantastic you are to work with and we'll X. share some out, outtakes. Well, very strange. <laughs> Do you think it's something, be called Twitter again? <laughs> something wrong with my phone because it won't update to X. And I've still got the Twitter logo and everything. I'm living yeah. in a parallel universe. Yeah, um, that's funny. I is know. It, is your phone from the 1970s? I don't know what's wrong with it. Oh, gosh, no, I don't want to... I got, to a, I, know, I got a new phone the other day, and I, but I had to take a child with me to the shop to translate. It's always best. Oh, God, I just had... I'm lovely fellas, but I had no idea what they were asking me. How many jigger... Yeah, all right, we'll get to the emails. Sorry. Hell. Uh, right, uh, can I just say a very quick hello to Jane, uh, because she was very pleased to have written an email to us that mentions the word bosom so many times, uh, because she was having problems uh, getting the right size of bra for her bosoms. Um, uh, she says, imagine my delight as I got older when I read that a famous London store would do a bra fitting just by looking at you. It was perfect, because uh, she didn't want to go to a shop that was no. going to measure her and 
and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, some years later, after I'd sustained my first spinal fracture, I realised I needed a good bra again, so off I went to London, all aglow. I stood in the changing room, half undressed, ready with my apology, only for the assistant to come in, take one look at me, and tell me that the London store no longer did my size. And I left with my tail between my legs and my boobs hanging low. Uh, anyway, it all got better... And she's now got a bra called Anita, uh, which has been bought from a small shop near her. Uh, and uh, she says at the end, I'll save my rant on the atrocious care for osteoporosis and ensuing spinal fractures for another time. Well, look, Jane, send us that email. Yeah, do. About yeah. atrocious care for osteoporosis and ensuing spinal fractures, because we'd really like to hear about it. And I think osteoporosis is one of those uh, really dangerous... Um, is it an illness or a disease... Condition. Um, condition. Condition. Yes. Yeah. I think it's one of those conditions where uh, we really wrongly assume that it's way off in the hinterland of old age and something that we don't maybe need to worry about and talk about. And it is one of those conditions that you can definitely help if you address it early on in your life. So yes. let's talk about osteoporosis. Mm. Send us that email, and I'm delighted that your bosoms uh, are well supported now. I dated a 19-year-old when I was 29, says Jennifer. All great for a while until he stood me up to go skateboarding with his mates and that woke me up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that, that would that would make me come to my senses, I think. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Jennifer had planned a, a quiet evening at an art gallery uh, for the two of them and, and he was... <laughs> He was going skateboarding. <laughs> it's quite sweet. Uh, now, can we just clear this up? Um, it's from Camilla, yeah. uh, who got a message from her sister this morning right. saying, why the slightly snarky comment about Sussex Jane? They're discussing the podcast in the oh, WhatsApp yeah. group. Yes, no, I, I think I just... I was just being... It was just a throwaway remark. I mean, was I, it? I've been to Uckfield. <laughs> it is. Did you have a nice time there, Jane? <laughs> I had a time, certainly. <laughs> Happy memories. I've been to Uckfield. <laughs> Do you want to share with the group? Absolutely not. Um, can we just go back to age group, age gap relationships? Because yes. this is an interesting one from a listener. <laughs> what is your reaction when there's an 11 year age gap between two women, which is the case between me and my partner? I don't remember the Russian gymnast you referenced, Olga Corbett, uh, but she does. However, there isn't much we don't share or have to talk about, like Bagpuss and the Clangus. <laughs> And we have a shared approach to parenting. <laughs> Sorry. In relation to being cared for, I've had ME for 12 years and my partner has looked after me since I was 43, as well as our autistic daughter. My partner is now 68, I am 56. I appreciate an 11-year gap isn't the biggest, but I'm interested whether this feels different because it's two women. And, you know, the honest answer is it does. It does feel different. Why? Well, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm just being honest. It feels different and I don't judge it and I don't get in any way arsy about it. I think, actually, to be fair, an 11-year age gap between a heterosexual couple wouldn't yeah. bother me either. Um, and also, it's it's that. What annoyed... What started all this off was Dolly Alderton commenting on the pressure on women of around mid-30s and slightly older to constantly procreate when men of a similar vintage have all the time in the world so they don't face the pressure. Yeah. And so the, that you cannot compare that situation to an 11-year age gap between two women. Yes, and I think the thing that, that I struggle with is an intergenerational relationship. That's what I find makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. So when somebody yeah. is young enough to be their daughter 
or uh, old enough to be their father, mm -hmm. I find that just difficult. Yeah, I would. You see, I would too. Do you think the tipping point might be 20 years, whereas 10, 11, 12, we wouldn't notice? I think we're good up to 14. Let's just 14 say that. Years. Up to 14 years, we're, we're good. Off air says yes. an age gap of 40. Well, um, let's bring in Robert. Um, I'm a long-time listener with my wife. My lovely wife, Rona, is nearly 20 years older than myself. I'm 40. She is 59. We never struggle for conversation and the Olympic anecdotes have never come between us. She is the only person whose company I never tire of. She is my world. Age is just a number if your soulmate is involved. Mm. So I do understand that. And of course, you know, not everybody has a slightly dubious intent or you know, whatever it is, uh, if they're falling in love with someone who is young enough to be one of their children. But I suppose it plays into the worrying trope that some people do. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all it is. I think that is it. Yeah. Um, shall we get to our guest? Because it's quite a uh, it's quite a meaty interview today, isn't it? And people might want to save some of their strength for it. Yes, and we have briefly uh, discussed it, I think, in yesterday's podcast, haven't we? Yeah. Do you want to say anything more? Well, I'm going to read the cue, a technical term there, but I think everybody's across it. That means introduction, everybody. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, you do need to know a couple of facts, actually, before we hear about the life of Castor Semenya. So she has a difference in sex development, DSD, which is an umbrella term referring to the varying genetic conditions where an embryo responds in a different way to the hormones that spark the development of internal and external sexual organs. So it happens right at the very beginning of life. In Castor's case, this means that she doesn't have a uterus, but she does have internal testes. They don't produce sperm and she has no other male sexual organs. She has a higher than female average testosterone level. And all of this she didn't know until she was examined by two doctors in Germany whilst competing in the Berlin World Championships in 2009. She was only 18 years old. And as she says in her book, it's affected me in ways I cannot describe, although I will try. And in The Race to Be Myself, which is the name of her book, she says that I want everyone to understand that despite my condition, even though I am built differently than other women, I am a woman. She also acknowledged that the biological makeup of her body, the way she looks on the outside and the way she lives her life, she's married to a woman and they've got two children, is a crossing of lines in many people's minds. But just FYI, she is currently awaiting the outcome of her case to run without any medical interventions and that's things like the medical lowering of her testosterone levels and she has taken that case to the European Court of Human Rights. The IAAF and the Swiss Supreme Court have ruled that she can't compete without those interventions. So those are all the facts that you need to know and we started where her book starts in her childhood in a rural village in Limpopo, the northernmost province in South Africa. Yeah, going back it's like... Uh Reliving those memories, um, coming from a small village uh, called Amastlong. Uh, it's just far west of uh, Polokwane. Uh, it's a very nice and easy, you know, dusty. I grew up in a place where, you know, we didn't have um, running water, we didn't have, uh, you know, electricity. I'll say it was a dark city. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, it was it was great. Um Great upbringing, you know, you grow up with um, love, you know, you grow up with support, uh, you feel, you know, welcomed, 
they show you appreciation. They appreciate you to an extent where you, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. When you have parents that um, raise you for who you are, uh, without questions, uh, you know, without judging you, they don't criticize, you know, what you do. Uh, they just want you to be happy. I think uh, growing up, you know, in a rural area, you know, versus the urban, because the rural areas, you... You, you, you just, you know, live life based on what is around you. You make use of whatever is surrounding you. You know, I grew up in the bush, you know, hunting with my cousins. You know, we had livestock. Uh, farming that side is way different because we do it ourselves, regardless of boys and girls. You know, responsibilities are, are not measured by, you know, you are a girl, you should be doing this. It's something that, you know, comes in you. If you feel like you can do it, you do it. Tell us what it feels like when you run. And when you were younger and you knew that you were sporting, you talk about the strength that you felt in your body. Of course. Uh, I think um, growing up, um, I play, you know, football with my, my male cousins. Uh, I remember in the villages, we don't have, you know, women's soccer. Uh we, we mixed up and for me being able to go across, you know, my, my male cousins and making sure that I score goals regardless of, I think that's where you start measuring yourself, you know, uh, from them and you to say, you know what, if, if I'm able to play football like this, if I'm able to hunt with them, uh, being able to be successful in them, you know, um, I think I can be a good, you know, a superstar. One day maybe I will make it, you know, in the world. I think for me, I always had it in me. I always believed that uh, I'm distanced to do great. Um, it does not matter where I'm coming from, but at the end of the day, it came with uh, what I believed in and I made it work and I never stopped. Mm. So you come from this place where you've been completely accepted and loved for exactly who you are and you've yes. had that kind of freedom. But as you say, when you come, when you came to the city and you, you got a scholarship to the University of Pretoria, yeah. a prejudice comes with that, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. But take us to that place where you've become a, a national sporting champion. You're doing incredibly well in your athletics training now and a psychologist is sent to see you. What happened and what did the psychologist say that they were there to do? Uh, the psychologist, to be honest, um, she didn't do much. She was more of um, telling me about when you start doing good, you know, people talk, you know. I think she, she didn't want to just tell me exactly what was happening. She just wanted to just prepare me to say, you know what, <coughs> there's something in front of you, you understand, but I didn't know what she was talking about. But had anybody before that time, and where are we, I think we're 2008, 2009 by now, had anybody around you questioned uh, your uh, gender in a direct way to you? No, there's no one who, who will come to me and question if um, I'm women or not, you understand? No, never. You know, I've done sports, you know, beautifully. I've enjoyed, you know, my teenage life in sports. Uh, I've represented the country, you know, several times. I've done uh, IWAF, you know, sanctioned meets, like uh, World Junior Championships. I was never asked if uh, I'm a boy or what, you understand? Mm. You did know, though, that your, your periods hadn't started, for example. Yeah, of course, of course. I know that I have understood myself, you know, from early age, understood how I, I am. 
And obviously the developments of uh, being a girl, I questioned that, you know, to, to my parents. I'm like, to my mom, like, um, I'm seeing that I'm almost 12, 13, you know, I've been, you know, golden, uh, you know, periods. Uh, I've been developed breast, and she'd be like, hey, uh, maybe you, it will come because sometimes, you know, in life there's early developers and late developers. I suppose you 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 are a late developer, but obviously for me, I, I discovered that later on. You know, when I get into the well spot, so that you know what, uh, you you are a different woman. Of course, I knew I'm a different woman, but I just didn't know how different I was. Mm. Yeah. So take us to that room then in Berlin. So you'd be competing in the World Championships in the 800 metres. You had dominated and won the semi-final. And you were then told that uh, a doctor needed to see you to do a test. So what happened then? No, I arrived at this hospital. Um, in my in, in my mind, it's like, okay, I'm just going through a random, you know, test that they've done, you know, during the heats, you know, now the same is they do the same thing. But, you know, after that, they tell me that I must be evaluated. I'm like, no, I don't have a problem, you know, with being evaluated because at the end of the day, uh, there's nothing for me to hide. And I got into the room and then obviously they, they start, you know, evaluating me. And then, but, you know, there comes a, a part where they come with, you know, their instrument, whatever objects that they want to use. I'm be like, ask them, what are you going to use that for? What are you going to do with that? You so understand? they wanted to do an internal examination? Yeah, they wanted to do internal, you know, inspections. I'm like, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to let anyone violate me to that extent. I know my right. Uh, I might be young. I'm not stupid. But that did, anger, you you're not going to do that. Did you have anyone in that room with you? No, 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 no. It was you those two doctors. Right. It was those two doctors. One was a male, one was a female, you understand? And I'm like, the only way for you to do that, you're going to go behind, you understand? Because, uh, look, I, I, I love myself, I respect myself to an extent where I do things, you know, with my consent. But if you're going to do that, no, we're going to we gonna fight then, you know. I'm a hunter, so... And, you know, it was a, that awkward, you know, moment where I could see that and they look at each other, they start speaking English. as oh, now you speak English. All this time you've been speaking, you're German, talking, talking. I couldn't even understand what you're saying, you understand? And that's where, you know, I started realizing that people in life, they can go extend to make sure that you don't belong. They make you feel you're not welcome. They make sure that you hate the sport that you're doing. But with me, I think I already knew, you know, what I was getting into. Uh, I had to do what I had to do, you know, to survive, you know, uh, that situation. Mm. Say, so, you know what, I'm here to run. I'm going to do what I'm here to do. So they do the examination. Uh, this will go out at about 3.30 in the afternoon. So there's not an, a huge amount that I don't know how to phrase this. Really. They do the examination, but it's not a vaginally penetrative examination. But what they find uh, is that you have internal testes within your body. Yeah, gonads, if you may say that. Yes. Yeah, the real term. That's what, that's yeah. what they use. So, yeah. Kester, did they did they just say that at the time to you? How how did they impart to you such an important thing about your body? No, for me, um, remember, I'm 18 years of age. Um, I don't really care about people publicising anything about me. It, to me, it don't really matter. You have to understand, for me... Um, I'm here to compete. Um, if you're going to be trying to use 
any kind of you know, strategies to diminish me, to try to ashamed me. It, it did not work because um, at the end of the day, I left you know, South Africa. It's like 10 hours flight. I'm not going to waste my energy on negativity, you understand? And for me, I realized you know, that they've done that the day of the final because when I got to the track, um, I could see, you know, there's something going on. I can see, you know, people are looking at me. You know, I'm like, well, what's going on? You know, and you look at the people that you're going to compete with, they're going to treat you like that. You know, so then they look at you like, I don't know if they fear you or they're scared or they're seeing a ghost. Even when um, the president of our federation, you know, sent the vice, you know, president to me to say, um, go talk to her, maybe try to get sense into her mind. But then I only had a question to them, say, look, I did not come this far to fail. I did not come this far to fail my nation, you know, my country. <laughs> I'm going to compete. I told them, if I'm going to stop, then IAAF to come drag me off the track. Yeah, so the IAAF, as it was uh, then, mm -hmm. uh, do you believe that they deliberately released the yes. results about yeah, the Yeah, it was deliberate because... Um, they thought by leaking the results, then I'll know and then I'll not want to run because, you know, I'll be ashamed to go there. Uh, I'm just new, I'm just young. You know, be like, be scared to run or anything. No, such mm. thing don't scare me. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Kasta Semenya is our guest this afternoon. I asked her about DSD and this is the condition that she has. And I asked her if there was ever a moment when she thought that she may be different from other people on the track because of her levels of testosterone. No, I don't. I never felt like um, I'm different from them. Um, as much as I understood that this is just a, a condition that I'm born with. Uh, I believe that each and every individual has their own condition, you know. Uh, that they are born with, you understand? Uh, the difference that it makes is that uh, I just have, you know, a disorder in my body. So that, that that's the only difference I have. And when when I look into it, I'm like, okay, if these guys are saying I have unfair advantage, so if I have, if, if I had unfair advantage, I'll be running, you know, 141, just like any other man, you understand? Because as much as they say I'm born a man, 
a man runs men's time, it's not run women's time, you understand? Yeah, but is there a physiological difference um, in that your body, when it went through puberty, may have changed in a different way that does give you more advantage? So that's about lean muscle mass, isn't it, and cardiovascular capacity and no, those things? No, no, I have never discovered any, any of such because, uh, for me, the only time you change that's when you train, you understand? Each and every individual develop all those changes through training. Getting into the university, starting to train hard, studying, that's when I start developing muscles because I do high-intensity program. You do not develop muscle because of uh, you have high testosterone level. No, there are people, there are men who have no muscle. <laughs> There are women with no muscle. There are women with muscle, you understand? So the athletics world wouldn't see it like that, would they? So you came to an agreement in order to be able to carry on running that you would reduce your testosterone yeah. uh, through taking the contraceptive pill. Uh, now, millions of women across the world taking the contraceptive pill will yeah. have sympathy with what you then found, which is it can make you feel terrible. Can't yeah, it? of course, of course. But <laughs> remember, with, with, with that situation... Um, it was our option. It was not AAF's choice or any option coming from them. They wanted us to do uh, a surgery. Can you be specific about what kind of surgery they wanted? I really didn't know because of, I didn't really bother <laughs> about just asking because when it. they, yeah. when my, my, my legal team mentioned surgery, I was like, no, I don't even want to know. But there must be other options, but only to know that now it will be, a, you know, removal or something like that, you understand, which is, I'll never do that. Uh, I'm happy with my body. It's not the case that I'm not going to run, then I'll let it be, you understand, because I'm not going to alter my body for someone to validate me into competition or someone to accept me. I told them, look, there must be other options. And then my gynecologist, you know, came up with the option to say, look, Cas, uh, this is the other option, but it's not good for your body because it's not designed for that. You understand? And I'm like, what if, taking taking the pill? taking the, yeah. the pill? And I'm, I was like, look, for me, with the desperation of running, I've just ran one championship. I still want to do Olympics. I can do that, but even if it's to risk to my take health. Up, um, Fee's point about the contraceptive pill. Presumably, lots of other female competitors were also taking the contraceptive pill. I don't know about but that. I, I mean, I think they were, because apart from anything else, if you take the pill consistently, you won't get periods, which is a lot easier. I no, don't know on that periods. because, uh, remember, we, we, on, on my side, I only focus on, you know, my situation. I don't really go into who's taking what. It is important that in your book, I mean, obviously South Africa is. There of course. There couldn't be course. a more blatant illustration yes. of, of racism than South yeah, Africa. Of course, it's a, it's a so racial So what, what about the impact of racism on the way you were treated? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge because, you, you know, you feel way discriminated, you feel segregated from, you know, a women's sports, especially particular women. Because now, if, if you look into it, you create hate amongst women. You understand? That's a hateful speech when you start calling a woman a man and then you start influencing other women to hate one, to say, no, look at her, she's not a woman, she's not that. Of course, it does impact me and it takes me back to where I'm coming from as a South African, uh, especially if it's done by British, <laughs> you know, a human, you understand? We have a history, you know, coming from apartheid era and then the very same British people, they do the same thing. You know, it does not it does not involve every British, you know, you know, individual, but one individual or two 
start, you know, following the very same footsteps. For me, it, it makes me feel like, you know what, um, if, if you're going to treat me like that, why don't you just tell me that uh, you don't want me into sports? Just tell me straight, like, look, Kester Semenya, we don't want you and your companion that are coming from Africa. We don't want you to do sports. This situation affects most of African women and Asian. And I respect when you talk about equality in sports. But if you're going to talk about the, the equality or you're leveling the, the play, you can never level, level the play because when we talk genetics, people are, you know, they vary, they differ. The same as in men's sports. You can't come into men's sports and say, because you have got fast twitch muscles, you have slow twitch muscles. People are born with their differences. We respect that. But if you only have on the podium athletes who who have DSD and you have other competitors who genuinely feel disadvantaged by that, what should those competitors understand in order for it not to turn out into a terrible kind of hate fight? But I, I think they need to understand that um, uh, it's not that that person's fault that they are born like that, as much as everyone has their own differences. Here we speak the language of sports where we say sports is for all, sports is for all women. We don't say sports is only for women who, who, who are born normal. We say sports is for women because women, we all differ. We all have our own differences, you understand? For me, uh, I'll appreciate it if you just respect people for who they are, accept them for who they are. And that's, that's what I understand about the language of sports and being, having a good sportsmanship. Rather than dis disrespecting them to that extent, you run with them. You shake their hands, you love with them, you love with them, and then you socialize with them. But then you go do, a, 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 you know, interviews that are opposite than what, you know, you, per you perceive to be, you know, on the track. For me, uh, it's, yeah. it's a huge disappointment. So you come off the track and people only want to talk yes, about DSD and course. gender. They don't want to talk about your athleticism. And you, you do say, uh, and I think it was after the 2016 uh, games, where you had some particularly, uh, well, you were sidelined, weren't you, by some of the other competitors yes, after one of your races. And you say in the book, they don't know when something is bigger than their individual smallness. But I would just ask you, uh, we will have people listening, Castor, and you know this, who yes, will have listened to absolutely everything that you've said yeah. and the way that you've talked about where you come from, what mm -hmm. you've achieved, and yeah. they will still be thinking she doesn't have the right to compete in female sport. And I wonder, I know it shouldn't be on you yeah. to change everybody's mind, but mm -hmm. you've written this book and I know that you want to. So yeah. what's the thing that you can say that would change that? perception and that mind? I think for me, it's only a very simple thing. I don't have to change someone's mind. And I still repeat that. I need no validation, you know, to know one, you know, to feel accepted or anything. But one thing I can say to each and every individual who's listening is that uh, in life, you know, we, we're living a temporary life. Uh, we shouldn't be wasting those moments for being negative or for trying to judge because we're not the ones to judge, you understand? We are given life to live. We should be the reflection of God as much as it says you should love, you should support, you should accept people for who they are. They don't need to change their mind. I don't expect them to do that. I just want to make them aware 
of those differences in life to say, we accept you for who you are. It does not matter the color of your skin, where you're coming from, how you look like, how you're born. Yeah. I know that you don't think that you have uh, any relevance from your own personal experience uh, that you could use in the trans-athletes debate, yeah. but people want to conflate those two things all the time, don't they? Yeah, no, I think that those are two different uh, situations where you look into our situation with DSD. We are women who are born with differences, you know, sexual differences. And then, but when we talk about the trans, you know, gender issue, it's where you come from, uh, 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 you know, the gender you're born with transitioning to another gender, which is, I have no hate about it. I love them. I love them for who they are. Uh, but uh, obviously I, I don't regulate the sports, but I sympathize with them. And for me, I don't ha really have a problem with them competing. So I think we just have to draw a line in terms of how we address people with respect. I think that comes first, where we say human rights come first. If each and every individual can be treated with that, I think we'll have a same line and sit down and discuss these situations to see how we move forward in terms of, you know, the diversity inclusivity mm. yeah but isn't it unfair i mean you're a, a, a hugely successful competitor you enter a race to win so isn't it unfair for a person who's been assigned a woman at birth and has run as a woman all of their life to be competing against somebody who did have a testosterone advantage through a male body when they were young those are difficult things aren't they I can't say uh, anything about fairness and unfairness because uh, for me it would be biased if I, I com you know, uh, <laughs> comment on a situation like this. What I, I can say is that I know how to be different. I know how to be, you know, to feel treated with rejection, you understand? So for me, if I were to, to comment on that, uh, I'm not the right person to do that because uh, it should be someone with transgender, you know, to be answering into that situation. But for me, at this moment, I can only answer for my situation because I think that's what I do best. You know, I understand myself better uh, because of the situations that I've enjoyed. Uh, where are you legally at the moment? There have been an awful lot of courts that have looked <laughs> at your case. Uh, so there's been the double, uh, the IAAF, uh, there has been uh, the European Court of Human Rights, of uh, there's been the Swiss High Court. Where are you in terms of all of those things at the moment? Yeah, we, we, we're still waiting for the, the High Chamber to decide, you know, on the, the ruling because... Yeah, and that's the European Court. The European yeah. Court. Uh, and obviously with IAAF, the, the battle is still on. Uh, I believe that, of course, uh, we will still go back to the court of arbitration, you know, to still argue the matter. But yeah, I feel positive about the work that I do. Casta Semenya and her book is called The Race to Be Myself and it's out now. And she feels, doesn't she, that she is in, um, well, she seemed very at ease with herself. And I think there's a lot of troubling content in that book. I mean, the most awful of which is that time when she was still in her teens and put in that situation where she was on her own in a medical examination with two people speaking a language she didn't understand. Yes, and, and, and what they were going to give her... And what they were going to do to her, yeah. I mean, a, 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 a penetrating internal examination mm. which she didn't know anything about well, until so, she walked into the room. Yeah, I mean, I feel I find that... Somebody should have explained it to her. Somebody from the South African Sporting Authority should have been with her. Yeah. Uh, I find all that really, really disturbing. And I think for 
the information to then have made it into the public domain, you know, to, to what end, really? You do have to ask a question about that. Uh, didn't give her enough time to settle for herself in her mind the massive change that she had just been told about. Yeah. Um, so there's all of that. I mean, what comes after, and obviously we'd love to hear your thoughts about this, um, is such a difficult story because, of course, there are female competitors on the track uh, who have been very vociferous in why they don't want any woman with DSD to be competing alongside of them uh, because of what they perceive to be an unfair advantage. And it it will all always come down to what your definition of a woman is, which is what, uh, you know, culturally we're struggling with at the moment. Um I think there would be a real problem for the athletics authorities if there were another, if there were a repeat of what happened in 2016 when all three... On the podium. On the podium yeah. at the 800 metres were female competitors with DSD. Now, that um, there's nothing those competitors could have done about that. They they have it, and that's that. It's like saying, why is Jane Garvey five foot one and a half? You know, that's just, that's it, isn't it? There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing they can do. But you do sense that that is something that it's, um, frankly, it challenges a lot of our, well, the certainties we cling to about our sex. I think that's just one of the things mm. that, um, actually, in a way, I think it, it, it just makes too many people uncomfortable because they're not I don't know it's it's it troubles a lot of people and there is no doubt that Casta like most athletes actually like most professional sports people is single-minded fairly self-regarding because you have to be because you can't actually afford to think too much about anybody else and I'm not sure whether people listening to that interview will be won over by her or not if I'm honest I don't know I'll be into it and please tell us what you think mm. I think the point that she does make in the introduction to the book is that uh, she never considered herself to be entering a world where she expected to be liked. So it's not about being liked when you're on the track, it's about winning the race. No, it's about winning. Yep. And also she was from a, a desperately poor background, from a country that didn't have the same capabilities as um, as others to help her through what lay ahead for her. And I just think... There, there are a lot of people making money out of her success. Yeah. And also she did have this incredible childhood, um, which she describes as free, where she could be whoever she wanted to be and was very much a tomboy, you know, really, really didn't want to hang with the girls, look like mm. the girls, be with the girls. Well, she says, doesn't she, that she was excused all the dreary domestic tasks. Yes, she went hunting. Girls were routinely expected to do. So she did all of that, uh, but nobody ever said and that means that you are a boy. Everybody accepted and loved her for being mm. Casta Semenya, a girl who displayed an awful lot of male uh, likes and dislikes. So you can see why that's your world, that's your mm. identity. You come into another world which says, well, you can't have that. You can't have those two mm. things going on. So, look, there is loads and loads to talk about, and I fully understand, as, as you know, Jane has, has already said, that you know, there's quite a lot of challenging stuff that we have to bend our minds around, and we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. So uh, it is the usual address, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Now, Josie, uh, she just wants to express her slight indignation about um, Montague Don. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 
Uh, could he be? I mean, this is just her view, not ours. Could he be more arrogant and more out of touch with modern gardening? His patronising remark that even a woman could these days host a gardening show on the BBC really got up my garden shears. Even a lady? <laughs> I don't think... Is that quite what he said? I don't remember him saying that. He did say that, actually, Jane. Oh, he did, did he? he? did say that some women are quite good at gardening. Well, Carol Klein has presented gardening shows for donkey's years on the BBC, hasn't she? I've been talking to Bunny Guinness on air for about 30 years, haven't I you? I love that name. Bunny Guinness. <laughs> um, Josie just got... She's on... Uh, got, is it Gardner's Question Time? Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is on over on the other. Uh, some of the best gardeners in the world um, are in America, says Josie. And on that note, some of the greatest gardeners in the world are women from Britain, people like Gertrude Jekyll, uh, Vita Constance... Vita... Sack, oh, Vita Sackville West. I do apologise. Yes, I know her. Uh, Marjorie Fish, well, not personally. <laughs> Beth Chad. <laughs> dear, dear Vita. <laughs> yes, I was a member. Before I moved to East West Kensington, I was a member of the Bloomsbury set. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Other names in, in her particular uh, horticultural frying pan Gertrude Jekyll, uh, Constance Villiers Stewart. And indeed, she does mention Carol Klein. So uh, we take your point. And have you got. Oh, briefly, I just wanted to mention Jill. Uh, wants to say about Jilly Cooper, I dip into Harriet, written many years ago. It's the story of an Oxford student who's dumped by a cad and then goes to work as a nanny for the children of a famous writer in Darkest Yorkshire. It's my favourite pick-me-up, says Jill. OK. I was surprised, actually, we didn't have a large post bag about Jilly, but maybe that'll come in over well, the weekend. sometimes people, they, they're not as... Um, it's almost like they've got lives. For... <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. Of course. No. Right, so uh, join us again at the beginning of next week to hear all the fun of the theatre... As Jane oh, will... and Cliff on Sunday night. Oh, God. Uh, right. Well, I need some strength for that. Maybe you do too. Jane and Fee at Times Talk Radio. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us, and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone